Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You guys hear that popcorn pop and listen? Mm, that's my favorite sound, y'all. <laughs> That's Instagram influencer Sophia Rowe. She's a chef. She's also host of the Vice TV show Counterspace. Over the years, she's built a career on being candid and funny through her Instagram videos. I'm just a person on Instagram that likes to chat and cook mushrooms and bake. I think that for me, my community is so great because I, I have started my Instagram being myself and have continued to be myself. But if you're on the internet today you know that it's not always a safe place to be. And for Sophia, a black woman, it's been pretty rough at some points. Dang, it's... Whoa, it's a lot of, like, real casual racism going on. <laughs> like, you know? For Sophia, the trolls really did get to her mental health. And the harassment made her reassess her relationship with social media. It's interesting, like, social media is a tool to connect, it's wonderful, but I think that's also really problematic at the same time. So it's, like, great for community, but then it's also, like, shit for community, you know? It's really, really strange. Sophia's experience is probably sounding familiar. In the past decade, social media has become nearly ubiquitous. For many of us, it's a central part of our daily lives. And let's face it, even as it's connected us like never before— it can sometimes also be overwhelming. It can even be harmful. As a neurosurgeon, but mostly as a dad, I can't help but wonder, do the risks outweigh the benefits? What is social media doing to our brains and how is it affecting our mental and our physical health? I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. It's time to start chasing life. Sanjay. In 2019, I was feeling completely isolated, overwhelmed, stressed, and I stumbled upon a very large community in social media. With this group, I began to feel like part of a community and got to redeem myself and get my life back. I am suffering from body dysmorphia, and social media plays a big role in that, telling me that my body type, which is not the gym bro <laughs> body type, is just not appreciated. I no longer use Facebook. It was definitely affecting my mental health. The platform has gone from a fun sharing space to one of disagreement and political arguments. Every day you see in the news about how detrimental Instagram is and TikTok and how it's hurting our kids. So how do I peel it back? How do I help my child recognize how detrimental this is to her growth and development? You ever wonder why social media is so compelling for so many of us? Well, it turns out there's something to this. This technology actually taps into an evolutionary drive that we all share. We evolved 
to find social interactions rewarding. That's Dar Meshi, an assistant professor at Michigan State University. He studies how social media affects our brains and our well-being. This is a new technology that provides us with access to more and varied social rewards than before this technology existed. The reason he got interested in this research was because of his own social media habits. One day I was on Facebook and I thought to myself, my friend seems to be posting a lot more than me. I wonder what is different in my friend's brain compared to my brain that causes that person to post more than than I do and, and use Facebook more than I do. And I realized I'm a neuroscientist and I can answer that question by doing an experiment. When we log on to one of these social media platforms, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, what what is that doing to our brains? Every person inside their brain has a circuit that we call the reward system. But essentially, the circuit assesses value. When you anticipate or you obtain something of value, this circuit activates. If you're walking along the street and you look down and you find uh, $5, boom, your reward system activates, right? This reward system activates when you get a compliment. It activates when you eat like really fatty foods or really sugar. This circuitry is part of healthy functioning. The problem is, is that when you engage in some type of behavior that constantly is activating this reward system over and over and over again, you transition from actually liking the experience to more wanting the experience. Part of your your work that you you've been in, in your lab, you've been investigating these connections between social media and the brain. And I love this this area of research. i'm I'm a brain guy myself. And I, I realize that we have better ways of sort of assessing the brain's function than we did, you know, a decade, two decades ago to see how the brain reacts in certain situations. And 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 this is, I, I think, where your your lab sort of focused on on using functional MRI scans and things like that. What did you find? What were you looking for? What did you find? Yeah, so we gave people these social rewards um, inside the scanner, and then we're able to demonstrate a link between how their brain responded to the social rewards inside the scanner and how intensely they were using Facebook. What Dar did specifically was that he gave participants compliments while scanning their brains in a functional MRI machine. He was looking specifically at the reward center in their brains, something known as the nucleus accumbens. So they were told that they were polite and honest, but I also showed them another person getting rewards. So they saw another person being called polite and being called honest as well. Then he compared how people's brains responded to receiving compliments as well is how they responded to watching someone else receive a compliment. He found that the bigger the difference in how their brains reacted to these two scenarios, then the more intensely they use Facebook. We find that social comparison is a large driver in social media use and actually linked it to poor mental health. So if you're scrolling on social media and you're comparing yourself to a lot of people on social media, the thought process is that that lends to more negative mental health rather than if you're posting a lot and reaping the benefits of this social platform. But I do just find it so interesting that ultimately it's not about how much you have, it's about how much the other guy has, in this case, in the form of likes. Yeah. Right? Is that, is that what you're saying? That is what I'm saying, yeah. 
our brains evolved to compare ourselves with others, but not with the massive quantity of comparisons that we now can do on social media. Like, for example, if you have a social network of hundreds of people on any given day, there's a person getting a new job, having a baby, getting married, um, taking an amazing trip, right? So every day you're scrolling through and you're seeing these amazing experiences that your friends and colleagues are having, whereas you might only get married once in your life and go on a, an amazing vacation once a year, right? What's happening is that we're comparing ourselves not just with individuals anymore, like, you know, in real life, but online, we're comparing ourselves en masse to our entire social network, which is also quite challenging, especially when everyone's presenting their best self um, on social media. Part of your research also looked at something I thought was really interesting, how social media affects decision-making overall. H how did you study that? What did you find? Yeah, so we know that the reward system of the brain is affected, and the reward system of the brain is involved in decision-making. In this experiment, Dar asked participants to choose between a $5 reward or gambling for a possible but less likely bigger reward. Now, this decision-making activates the brain's reward systems, the same region we were talking about before when Dar was studying compliments and social comparison. And so if we know that we have aberrations in the reward system, then that should manifest itself in aberrations in actual behavioral decision-making. What he found was that people who overuse social media show some of the same risky behavioral patterns as people with drug and alcohol addictions. I basically tried to make a parallel between problematic social media use and other like substance use disorders or behavioral addictive disorders. And what we find is that people who are not dependent upon substances make decisions in a certain way, and people who are dependent on substances make decisions in a different way. And I found the exact same behavioral patterns. The more problematic your social media use, the worse your type of decision-making. Riskier decision-making? Exactly, riskier decision-making. So these people were taking more risk. That seems anti-evolutionary. Like, why <laughs> would... A lot of us like to say that we're addicted to social media. But Dar and other researchers are wary of using this term because, medically speaking... Something is an addiction only if it's officially recognized in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And social media is not, for now at least. I call it problematic social media use. I don't use the word addiction. Researchers consider problematic social media use as the maladaptive excessive social media use that inhibits someone from daily functioning and or causes psychological distress. It resembles other disorders like substance use disorders and like gambling disorder, for example, and that there are these key components. There are six of them that all addictions share. Number one, preoccupation. You're constantly thinking about your drug or thinking about social media when you're not using it. Number two, mood modification. You take your drug to like change your mood or you go on social media in order to change your mood. Number three, tolerance. You need more and more of using social media in order to get the same types of rewards. Number four, conflict. It's causing problems in your personal life, in your work, your hobbies. Number five, withdrawal. When you try to quit or you stop it for a while, you have withdrawal symptoms, like you're uneasy, you don't feel good if you can't access social media. And number six, relapse. If you try to quit, you then relapse and continue using social media. You're unable to stop. 
Dar's research has found that problematic social media use is correlated with depression, anxiety, risky decision-making, and lower life satisfaction overall. But look, social media isn't all bad for us. It really depends on how we use it, which platforms we use, and what we do when we're using them. Dar confesses to being a frequent user himself. I use it a lot. That's probably one of the reasons I like to do research on it. I find myself switching between some platforms and others, but I'm not much of a poster. I'm more of a lurker. The type of person that posts a lot, we call that active use, and the person who doesn't, we call that passive use. The passive user is a person who just scrolls a lot, checking out other people, and uh, I'm much more of a passive user than an active user. And here's the thing. Passive users are more likely to compare themselves to others, while active users get to experience some of the community building that can be a benefit of social media. You're posting and people are commenting and liking. That's like a good active use of the site. But if you're scrolling and comparing yourself to others, the research indicates that that's maybe not the best way to be uh, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling all the time on social media. I mean, when, I, when you read these articles about how social media apps are designed to keep you engaged, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Well, just like a slot machine, right? You have an anticipation there, and that anticipation, when you pull the arm on a slot machine, activates that reward system of your brain. It's very similar to, right, like when you're refreshing your, your phone, you're pulling it down, you see the symbol spinning, and you're waiting to see what new information comes up. Maybe someone's liked a post of yours, maybe someone's commented or something like that. So in one situation, you have a monetary reward, and the other, you have a social reward. And um, yes, from what I understand, it's an attention economy. They make more money by getting you to spend more time on their platform. So I believe, in a way, getting you to anticipate and getting you to activate that reward system allows you to be more engaged and pay more attention to what's going on on their platform. And some of these these people who were very involved, at least the early days of social media, uh, like Sean Parker, has come out and said he would actually prefer that his own children not be on social media, which that was a very telling sort of statement. What would you do with, with your own family? Yeah. What would you recommend in terms of their, their social media usage? Moderation. Any type of activity or drug can activate the reward system and people can enjoy it but then you can have a problem with it, right? Like I wouldn't say you should never drink alcohol. Oh, it's bad for you, don't do not do it. Because many people can drink alcohol and not experience uh, psychological distress or impairment in daily functioning. However, some people, they drink in a way that impairs their ability to function and causes them lots of problems. And so for those individuals, I would stress that they don't do that, right? And they regulate their drinking. And like any type of problematic behavior, I think this is just fits in that same category. If you feel that you are experiencing distress and having problems, then you should take action. But otherwise, um, it's just another technology that people should be using and enjoying. And, and there's lots of benefits from social media as well, too. There's lots of research actually for older adults and demonstrating the benefits of social media because they're able to stay in touch with people that they wouldn't normally be able to stay in touch with. I mean, given how much People think about this and talk about it, and I think, you know, everyone deals with this. It's, it's surprising that there's not more research done. Is it, is it, I mean, why do you think that is? Is it just hard research to do? What's going on here? Yeah, currently right now, there is no branch of the National Institutes of Health that is dedicated to investigating and understanding the impact of technology use on society. 
there's very, very, very little funding in comparison to other types of issues. So it would be great if policymakers could dedicate more money to this, and then we could actually start doing a lot more research to try to really understand the nuances to reveal some of these causal relationships that you've been asking about. Because right now, most of the research is just correlational. And we also don't have access to social media platform. As a researcher, the companies have all the data. I'm on the outside looking in, trying to figure out what's going on. So I think give researchers money to figure out what it is about these platforms that are causing problems. Clearly, there are benefits. Clearly, there are problems. Let's figure out what's the good stuff, what's the bad stuff. And if we're going to create policy, create policy that benefits everyone instead of just unilaterally saying, nope, we're going to limit this. It's, it's all bad, right? Just like with any activity, social media does affect each of us differently. Just because you're on social media doesn't mean you're definitely going to become hooked to it. And as Dar said, if you don't feel bad using social media, you should just enjoy it. And you should reap the social connections that it offers. Coming up after the break, we're going to have more with Chef Sophia Rowe and tips on how to make social media work for us, not against us. You can't forget to live on your quest to have a life on Instagram or social media. But first, I do want your help with something. We're doing an upcoming episode all about languages and the brain. What we want to know is, how has learning a new language shaped your identity? You can record a voice memo and email it to asksanjay at cnn.com or give us a call at 470-396-0832 and leave a message. And now back to Chasing Life. I think my Instagram, I started in 2011. So I'm old school, been using it a very long time. Chef Sophia Rowe started using Instagram way before being an influencer was really a thing. And it used to just be like food photos, you know? Like I've been a cook for 14 years, so it was just me sharing like images of my food that were probably highly and poorly edited. (laughs) Like, remember back in the day when, like, everyone was like, filters, 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 you know? She started sharing more of her personal life on Instagram. So I'm about to go for a hike. And her community grew from there. I just need some fresh air because my heart is sore, my mind is sore, my brain is sore, my body is so sore. I started speaking openly about sort of my story and my history and where I came from. And I grew up very food insecure. I grew up very poor. I started really sharing that. I remember standing in line at the food pantry one time with my mom. I was maybe six or seven years old. I mean, we were eating like maybe once or twice a day at that time. I started really seeing like, man, people are like, they have their own stories. So you kind of felt like as a community, like we were really setting each other free. But as social media got bigger, things started to change. You know, everything's fun until it's not. The memification of black murder is fucking disgusting. And if it seems like I'm being upset, I am. Instagram is a tool for awareness and activism and advocacy. And I think that that's good and also absolutely detrimental. Like, I think that's a great thing. And I also think it gave way for incredible internet violence, incredible bots, incredible trolls in sort of the beginning of that mental health down slope. And that was, for me, when it became really kind of like, oh, wow, I'm actually not well after I use Instagram, you know? 
and she started to feel the toll of comparing herself to others on the internet. I'm seeing a lot of like people casually just talking about how they have eating disorders, showing photos that are highly photoshopped and everything looks perfect. And that's when I started to feel like bad. I'm like, oh, like I suck, like my life sucks. Like I'm 27 and I have like a gluten pooch because like I eat gluten and I guess I'm bad for that or like whatever. (laughs) Like I was suddenly thinking about because the internet was making me do that because I was spending so much time on the internet because the internet was my community. But Sophia couldn't just stop. This was her life. And like so many of us, she was already in deep. Anyone who uses social media every single day and has for five plus years is semi-addiction to their phone. We're addicted to our phones. We're addicted to checking. We're addicted to scrolling. I have this feeling like in in thousands of years, humans are going to like evolve into like weird thumb people. Like like our thumbs are going to become massive or something because we we, we use them in this, this one kind of way, you know? So Sophia decided she needed to put some boundaries around her social media use. I'd say 2020 was the beginning of me not sharing everything on Instagram, not sharing all of my life, not tagging the thing and and not looking at it. 2021 was the beginning of me putting up what I put up to the universe. Don't check DMs. Take me or leave me. These days, when things start getting to her, she takes a break. I'm really having a hard time lately. I'm, I'm super triggered by the news, and I just don't think that this is the right time. I need a purge. Like, I did the whole weekend, no Instagram. You know, it's, I always say when I really want to come up with new concepts in the kitchen, I just stay off the internet for three days, and they all just come to me. It just comes to me. Nowadays, she's found a balance that's mostly been working for her. So what's her secret? Well, tip number one, don't forget to live your real life. Always make sure your real life is way better than your Instagram life. Your real life should always be way more exciting and way more just sensory driven than whatever's happening on Instagram, because that's living. You can't forget to live on your quest to have a life on Instagram or social media. Tip number two, leave your phone behind. Don't be scared to leave that thing over there. (laughs) It's all going to be mine. You know, bake something or cook something without it. And it'll taste way better. It'll taste way better, I promise. I say that as, a, as a someone who's been cooking 14 years, every single thing you do, Sam's phone is better. Tip number three, it's okay to block strangers who are rude online. Don't forget that there is a big fat block button on every single social media platform. And don't be scared to use it because your mental health is way more valuable than you getting in a comment war with you know, Michael 61 KJ. <laughs> okay? It's just not worth it. And tip number four, one that really taught me something, is from Professor Darmeshi. He says we should stop lurking and start posting. Putting yourself out there and posting a little bit and also commenting and having more social interaction is what the research demonstrates that you should be engaging in rather than just the endless scrolling and doom scrolling as well. You don't want to get trapped in that behavior. And if you notice that you're doing it, try to stop. Tip five, try putting your phone on grayscale. So you don't have a color screen. You have a black and white screen. Everything's tones of gray. People that I've talked to, they believe that this helps them as well. So you could give it a try and maybe it helps you stay away from your phone and not be as drawn in. Tip six, 
Embrace the silence. Reduce or schedule your notifications. One study found that they installed an app on people's phones and they controlled people's notifications and they batched them into notifications given all day long, like whenever they came through, or three times a day, like 9 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9 p.m. And they found that when they had this app that batched the notifications and only coming in three times a day, that was the most beneficial condition with the best mental health. And this last tip, tip number seven, is for parents like me. Instead of an outright ban, focus more on educating your children about the potential pitfalls of social media. Why do they want to post a selfie? What type of reward are they obtaining from posting the selfie? And why are they doing the things that they're doing on social media? And if you understand and you can convey that to your child that, hey, maybe, you know, you don't need to post that selfie because it's not giving you the type of reward that you think you're getting, for example, or maybe it's not as valuable as something else. I think maybe that could go a long way. Look, social media isn't all bad, and it isn't all good. There are great opportunities for educating yourself, making friends, building communities on these apps. I've learned new skills. I've met new friends. I've reestablished connections with old friends that I thought I had lost. There could be a lot of good things that come from social media, but again, you have to do this strategically. You have to think about it, and you have to recognize if it is causing you more harm than good. It's not always easy, but we are learning together, especially for the parents out there. You gotta remember, many of these technologies simply didn't even exist when we were kids. So we're going to live and we're going to learn together. Let us know if you're trying out some of the tips discussed in this episode. You can record your thoughts as a voice memo, email them to asksanjay at cnn.com or give us a call at 470-396-0832 and leave a message. We might even include them on an upcoming episode of the podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday with an episode about social anxiety and the steps we can take to help quiet our inner critic. Thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is executive producer. Zoe Saunders is the senior producer. Our podcast is produced by Jordan Gaspore. Emily Liu, Xavier Lopez, Isuke Samuel, and Grace Walker. Our production assistant is Allison Park. Our intern is Eduardo Ocampo. Our medical writer, Andrea Kane. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seeley of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Rafina Ahmad, and Courtney Coop from CNN Audio. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.